Please join me in welcoming cybersecurity architect and advisor, Eugenie, to the show. Eugenie, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Happy, happy to be here. So, Eugenie, today we're talking around cybersecurity, what companies are doing with now that employees are working from home. How are they securing not only their company, but the employee and the data transversing to it? So, Eugenie, let's open it up and start talking about what do you mean by securing it from working from home? Well, think about this. Even before the pandemic started, we all traveled. We went to conferences. We sometimes walked from Starbucks. We sometimes went to the cottages. And we connected back to our office, or maybe we used SaaS applications. When the pandemic started, recently, in a matter of two weeks, everyone walked from home. It's created quite a big challenge for everyone. Because now we need to connect all the employees in the past, it was maybe 5%, maybe 10%, but now it's 100% of people need to connect back to the data center or connect securely to the applications in the sense. But we'll, we'll get back to this. During the pandemic, everybody realized that we want to do digital transformation and we want to move all the assets to use us. Multiple reasons. Maybe it's easier, I don't need to go to reboot the server, I don't need to go and pay for the infrastructure. There's a lot of reasons why to do this. And it basically created a problem, an opportunity, a different methodology to secure people. Because the assumption right now, if you're working from the office, if you're working from home, like you and me right now, sitting at our homes and recording this episode, or you're flying Starbucks, we want to secure your work. We don't want the bad guys to piggyback on your connection when you're connecting back to the office. We want to make sure you're not going to malicious website and infect your machine, and then, of course, compromising the company. There was a lot of examples, not very good examples, for the last couple of weeks about people hacking VPN and then basically going on somebody's machine and then going to shares and doing stuff that you're not supposed to be doing. So there's a need to do this. Now, there is a bit different part of the security to actually secure the data centers, to secure the application companies develop. Let's give an example of, let's say, Salesforce or CRM company. doesn't matter which company it is. They have an internal employees, enterprise security, but they have their own product that they need to secure as well. It's a bit different challenge. Now, wait a second. So back then... You know, I remember logging into the VPN and up to Rose recently, I was still utilizing a VPN for a company. Why, why has my comfort level changed? Uh, you know, I got a VPN, I should be, aren't I totally secure? What do I have to worry about? As we say in security, very good question, you know, a very good topic. VPN secured the connection from my device to the company. One, it doesn't secure it doesn't prevent for me to go into a bad website, to malware websites, to click on the URLs, for example. But then let's think about this. If I'm working on my device and you're the bad guy, I'm not saying you're the bad guy, but let us see you're the bad guy. I'll play the and bad guy in this part. Good cop and the bad cop. And somehow you were able to get to my device, to my laptop, and you now sitting on my laptop remotely somehow, 
your connection to the office is also secure. So you're piggybacking on my connection and you're going to the office. Here's the interesting part. With the traditional VPN connectivity, it usually works by IP range. So I connect it and have access to a variety of IP ranges. I can do scans, I can branch Nmap and do many different things. It means the bad guys using my connection can do all the things as well. And in many cases, there's gonna be no difference between a developing person, a marketing person, an accounting person, help desk person in the company. They will all connect it to the office or to the uh, data center for the applications internally and get very similar access. Why? Because they will launch the applications they need and authenticate. But the bad guys will have basically a variety of things to do and have much, much wider access than they're supposed to. We probably all heard about the magical term zero trust. We don't want to go there right now too, too much. <laughs> we don't have enough time to go to zero trust. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's and another episode. Yeah, zero trust is it's a journey. You know, it's not a flip a switch and we're there. Yeah. But the VPN as a traditional as we know, it's completely doesn't support the idea of zero trust because I give you the access. Where there's a new format, we call it ZTNA, zero network access. I basically allow the users remotely to connect only to the application, not IPs, that they need. So we'll define groups, we'll define the access, and then Evgeny, John, somebody else will connect to the applications they need. So no longer can just scan or go wild from home onto the network. Of course, you can claim that the more mature companies landed people in special DMZs or for the VPN, had another firewall, had more rules there, but in reality, majority of the people just gave access and that's it. Now, when securing the work from home, we're not just securing the access to the applications in the office. We also need to make sure we secure your browsing experience as well. Okay, Eugenie, I want to jump onto that because the VPN right you're, you're logging into the vpn you have access to your machine that's right here say we'll just theoretically right here in front of me access secure in the tunnel to it what about the access now we're talking about working from home but starbucks is another example because you're not actually physically at the location where you don't have to vpn while you're in you know on site or typically don't have to but me as an actor i get there isn't everything that i do usually tracked throughout the company through the VPN, like what I'm accessing? Can't I go and see or put alerts in place to trigger any of those things that are, that I don't want to happen? Or when I do have a VPN, is it just like being at the office where I'm accessing everything and now it's very hard to trace what's being happened? You just want to have another episode about tracking the same security management and the standards part. <laughs> yes, the majority of the companies will take logs from the VPN concentrator from the firewall or whatever the device is used for accessing. Now, if Evgeny is a development person and he needs to do XYZ, how the SIM or the analytics platform will understand that Evgeny is supposed to access an FTP server or the finance server? Because these systems, and we're not going to your user behavior yet, analytics, AI, machine learning, terminators, XDR, but the traditional system that collect logs, we create some kind of hierarchy, some kind of logic. For example, 
if Evgeny trying to create an attack and it's command hand network, we will alert about it. If Evgeny trying to access a server and he failed logging more than 10 times in a minute, there's probably something fishy going on. Evgeny cannot type so fast. Or maybe it's a hundred times uh, a minute. But understand which service Evgeny can log in and cannot log in. Why Evgeny today logging into this FTP server and suddenly trying to go to Active Directory on a different continent or to a different FTP server, it's very, very hard to know without additional logic. The additional logic that not always configured for everyone is the behavior component. Evgeny usually log in from 9 to 5. Why Evgeny is working in 2 EM? This could be, could be programmed. But to understand, okay, Evgeny usually transfer not more than 100 megabytes of files, but today he transferred two terabytes. Why? What Evgeny did? Is Evgeny trying to quit his job and taking all the files with him? Oh, it's not actually Evgeny because Evgeny is on vacation. So why Evgeny even logged in? He's on vacation. All right. I, I have to jump in there and ask you because what's the difference between if I was on site versus remote from home. I mean, how do you tackle both of those? Because maybe I'm transferring a lot of data internally, right? Transferring, I hopped on a server and I started moving and, you know, data around, which that's very hard to track that it was me as a user doing that within that server, if I'm part of a group and I'm internally, but now I'm doing this work remotely uh, through the VPN and I'm trying to do that. What, what's the difference between on-site versus not and trying to do some of these attacks? Now for a quick Interruption. A huge shout out to our friends at Veeam for sponsoring this episode. Veeam Backup for AWS can easily protect all of your Amazon EC2, RDS, and VPC data. Wait a second. They can protect my VPC data too? Yep, that's right. Simplify AWS backup and recovery while ensuring security and compliance. All right, now back to our episode. Uh, through the VPN and I'm trying to do that. What, what's the difference between on-site versus not and trying to do some of these attacks? This is a good question. The difference between on-site and remote is on-site, we can pretty much guarantee it's you. If you don't have a clone on your laptop and we trust the perimeter on-site, then we know it's you and I'm doing this. And we, yeah, uh, I, it's a good thing this is going to be a video podcast yes. because then you can see you getting on <laughs> quote, trust. Quote, unquote. <laughs> we're, not, we're not touching the trust part here. We're just talking about that. Go ahead, finish it. And when you remote, it's much harder to know if it's true Evgeny or somebody, and we kind of going here to the Pandora box. If it's a true Evgeny or somebody hacked Evgeny laptop or somebody stole Evgeny credentials because there was no multi-factor authentication done, or even there was a multi-factor authentication done, but somebody was able to social engineering or do something else to get the access, how can we know? I always give people an example of cloud versus on-prem from a user perspective. Let's say I know the root access or the secret password to the router in internally, and I have it. What can I do with it? If, I, if it's in a data center and I don't have a machine gun to get to the data center and I cannot plug myself to a console or the router, even if I have the password, it's probably going to be very hard for me to log in. But if I know your AWS root username and password and there's no MFA, now I can do anything I want from the same Starbucks near you. Well, that brings up even more questions because during the whole pandemic, everybody was working from home and it was almost an explicit trust for everybody that you are who you are at home because we just can't handle the workload that's increased of those working from home 
to authenticate them. It, what are your thoughts? So this why there's additional things you want to bring. We have the multi-factor authentication when we need to put some code or have a push notification. There's multiple ways to do it. A lot of companies right now introducing behavior, behavior analysis and biometric as well. So, okay, maybe you need to put a finger or maybe we'll understand how you tie. It's a bit more advanced. But we also want to include posture checker. And we will go to BYOD for a second, bring your own device, but it's also important. But I can check, is your device part of my domain? Do you have some kind of certificate I gave to you? Or maybe I'll check if your device has an antivirus, EDR, ETP in our modern language. Is your device part of domain? Is it patched? Or something else that can validate that you actually working from approved device from your work. MDM, a mobile device management software, another piece of application that will push by your company. And if you have it, you're probably not a bad guy. Now, it is creating a different problem because if I allow people to bring their own device, go to Best Buy and connect to Office 65 and on-prem, then it's going to be much harder because I, I gave you the permission to use any device. Can I still validate? Can I do something else to understand you are you? And it's almost like a multi-layer approach. What, what can I understand about who is it getting, from where it's coming, what device they're using, and something else I can understand is actually you getting. Or not somebody else okay there's actually a way or there you're testing in a way and this is the first time i'm hearing it to understand the way i type if it's me or not yes there is behavior analytics sorry but the behavior identification program that usually see how i tap how fast i tap there, there could be deployed as an agent or or even in many cases deployed on the other side on the server and understand how usually quickly you type your password. There's quite a lot of applications that work on my on the phone, and they will see how you hold your phone. <laughs> and they will and because all of us holding the phone in the same matter. So it will understand banking. I think a lot of the banks trying to put an SDK part of the software to understand when you're trying to log in to a bank, it's actually you or somebody else. We're gonna see it's coming because there are multiple companies that are working in this space. And there's additional information to do this. There's already quite a lot of people using fingerprinting, of course, you know, to do this, or Ace ID to do this as well, to understand you, it's you. But it really, really depends. The problem in many of these cases is we create one logic, but then create exceptions because the manager, the CEO, the CTO, they went on vacation and then now they need to log in and they forget their magic authentication, whatever it is. So we created one exception, two exceptions, forgot to remove it. Or somebody didn't com complete the logic to do this. Or people started the project and never finished the authentication part because they saw a problem where it doesn't work. Or maybe I, they did it for on-prem, but never did it for SaaS applications. And because many companies moving the data to SaaS, CRM, Salesforce, HR companies, many of them, I'm sure most of us, you and me, using OneDrive, Dropbox, Google Drive, or any of these applications where we save the data, and then we share links. And because we're on a rush, we share the links not with your email, we just have it with anyone. But there is still a lot of stuff to do when we work from anywhere and we're on a rush. It's kind of, we're kind of globalizing right now about the problem, how to secure it.
because not just the remote access part, it also when we connect to the internet, could I allow you not not even over VPN? Can I, do I, do I allow you to connect to Salesforce? Do I authenticate you and how? And what I to do do with you when you actually get us? You get that provides another complex to it is because I see working from home. My access immediately to SaaS applications without hitting a VPN or going into the company and a VPN through it make my lives easier. How do you balance accessing these SaaS applications, VPN, encryption on top of it so I can get my work done but also stay secure? Because there's a point where the exceptions start becoming the norm. There is complete concept that started around three, four years ago. Guardian called it SASE first framework, secure access service edge. We actually mean Dimitri covered this in first two seasons under the security architecture podcast. We have more than 25 vendors on this part. So if somebody wants to watch, there's a lot of, a lot of good data. But the idea, what do you do? You let people connect over remote access. And I'm not saying VPN, remote access is your ZPNA right now to the office, but when you want to browse to the internet and you want to connect to your favorite applications, you're not going direct. The SASE providers, it's also later on called SSE, or only secure service edge, have multiple locations in the world. It could be private data centers, it could be public data centers, where they host, host the equipment. So instead of going directly to Facebook or to Salesforce, you first go into the closest pop at point of present to the provider where they check, hey, do we even allow to go to Facebook? Oh, maybe it's a torrent site, maybe it's a malware site. And only then you get forwarded to this website. Now, it's not just there. We're not just doing your filtering, your categorizations. We also check if the place you want to go, it's potentially a malware website. There's better intelligence going on the back end to collect the information. When you download the file, is this file potentially malicious? Checking about antivirus. If you upload the file, are you upload the file that potentially has customer information? So data leakage prevention, DOP. There's a lot of what's going on in this inline inspection when you browse to the website. And because there's multiple locations of such vendors and such infrastructure, as an end user, you don't really feel a lot of problems. You don't really feel latency. Of course, it depends. If you located in Mexico and you browse in the local government and somehow you got routed to New York, it probably take you a longer time. This is why back to architecture. How it's architected, how do we know where to go, where to route the traffic? What are some of these methodologies that companies are deploying? Because here's what I'm seeing is that there's no one cure-all, right, to actually fix these and for all the trust. But now I have 10, 15 different ways that I have to secure my environment from SaaS security at the edge, VPN, remote access, antivirus doing that. There's all this overhead that's going on. How are, we, how are companies managing or being able to do this, not only for work from home, but internal uh, employees, bringing your own device, I mean, it just sounds like a nightmare to try to manage all these security applications. It, you're right. It is a nightmare in a way. It's also a problem because now we need better collaboration. And I always was kind of trying to 
push the idea of collaboration in teams when I did consulting as part of Orgivit, that we want the network team to talk to security team. We want the endpoint team to talk to everybody else. Because if we need to secure a network and inline communication, we need all of the people working together. We see a lot of companies move from MPLS to SDN. SDN and MPLS, it's a network project. But on top of them, we have security. So if they don't talk to each other, they're going to basically go like this somewhere, you know, and everybody eventually figure out, oh, we need to work together. But it doesn't really make sense. Now, if there is a government, if there is an architecture team that they put the standards, they understand where we want to go, how we're going to do this, then yes, you can do it. You can understand, okay, I want to use a cloud security web gateway as part of SASE from this vendor or potentially one vendor for the network connectivity to the internet, the same vendor for remote access. And maybe I'll find the endpoint solution that actually connect and has a technology partnership with this vendor, then I'm kind of creating a very good set of products and not just a la carte, the best, best, best of breed. I personally don't like the best of breed term, the board by themselves. Like when I go to a restaurant, I don't want my steak a la carte. I like it with salad and potato. Uh, that's a good way to put it. All right, you getting, let me ask you the question. Is it harder to implement some of this stuff net new or an existing enterprise? Meaning, yes. <laughs> or, well, I actually was going the other way thinking it was going to be enterprise would be harder, but in general, yes is the answer. All right, well, it's time to wrap up the show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it depends. It's going to be, depend what you have right now. Is your current provider for VPN, remote access, security web gateway, we didn't touch about Casby a lot, but let's leave it away alone, has the capability in other section. Can you not completely move everything, but actually use your current provider because they maybe have a new offering and you don't need to change anything. If not, then you need to figure out what you're gonna do. And the important part here is try to look ahead two, three years to understand where the company is gonna be. Not just what your security team wants, but what's going to happen with the business. If the business thinking, oh, you know what, we don't need, need all these offices, we're going to close them in two years and everybody's going to work from home. So if you are just creating the best security architecture and scenario, but you're, not forget, but you're forgetting to go to the business owners, understand what they want to do, then you're going to fail. So go to the business, understand what is your plan for the next two, three years, then align your vision to their vision because security is supposed to be enabler and not stopping everyone to do the work and be pain in the butt. Then you can create the architecture, the components, what, what need to be done, have a quarterly or even a monthly connection with everybody because it's, it's very, very connected right now. People need to understand what's happening and create a plan on where to go. And when you create a plan, I pretty much guarantee that it will change. But it's okay that you're changing. At least you're not pivoting 180% and going different direction. The small incremental changes are totally fine. All right, Eugenie, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I'm going to challenge you with something as a hot topic that's happening at least once a week. We're hearing about companies being hacked, data being you know exposed, uh, malicious. However, it is has it increased 
with working from home or has the visibility just increased now that everybody's aware of it and we're all connected? When all this happened, and I was doing a lot of security workshops for companies, we had this debate with friends that it takes 150, 200, even some cases more days for the company understands they get breached or something happened. So the bad guys putting the malware are not touching it for some time, it's collecting information. So while I cannot tell you for certain, it could be that during the transition for the last two years, a lot of companies got hacked. We just don't know yet about it. And now it's slowly popping. Not always the case, not always the case. The last couple of, we know it was relatively quick, but definitely with a transition to working from home. People not building all the policies of how people supposed to behave and then transition the, po the written policy to security controls. There is more holes. There's also less um, visibility in some cases of what people need, need to do and how people need to do. And unfortunately, we always find people that are lazy. Like, look at what happened with Okta, unfortunately. There was somebody that has a completely proper way how to use passwords, but they decided to put them in Excel and Notepad, I think it was Excel, instead of going and login and exit. And this is awareness. This is teaching people why you shouldn't be doing this. Sometimes you want to cut corners and then get slapped. You're speaking of lazy. Did you read it uh, in the paper, an article the other day? Is it a well-known hotel chain was quote-unquote hacked, all right, and using a term, and apparently some disgruntled guests did not like the way that they were treated and stumbled upon or fa figured out the password to their core router. It was QWERTY1234, right? Really, and they deleted all their data. Now, I don't know the, the details of it, but apparently they were down for some time. I think it was like 48 plus hours. And they only knew about it through reservations that were deleted and everything. That is pure laziness. If that is allowed anywhere and the password is either null or password one, two, three. I remember we would set those as a default and that was wrong because when you go back to it, you, you never change it. You just keep using it because it's easier. I'm wondering how he actually got to the main route, but I don't. I didn't read, read the article. So I wonder how he got it there. But definitely, people sometimes put temporary passwords and then forget about them and don't use them. Also, back to analytics and logs and internal. If it happened internally in the company and there was no logs that indicated something happening, then it's just another example of unfortunately, while we always tell what needs to be happening. We need to watch our assets, what we have, what we deployed, because if you don't know it's exists, if you're not protected, you need to log everything. But not everybody doing this for multiple, multiple reasons. Or they're lazy, or they don't have enough budget, also the case, or they're so busy going and putting fires because there's not many people in the company that do not have just time. And uh, we see it a lot. Many companies don't have enough, not IT, security personnel to actually support the initiative. And if you look what's happening in the managed service world, pretty much every VAR right now offering a managed service offering as well, because they realize people don't have enough time to watch 24-7. They usually work 9 to 5. But it doesn't mean the bad guys are sleeping. Or maybe the bad guys 
it's actually during it's a day for them when we are sleeping in North America. That's perfect. But nobody watching because everybody's sleeping. And if we're not watching and maybe even something triggered, then nobody will respond. It may have eight, 12 hours. That's a lot of time in our world. It's, can, everything can be deleted. So there's definitely a move of more services. And we definitely see a trend. Somebody got hacked and now they're hiring people. Now they have budget. There was a lot of communication on LinkedIn for several last weeks about what can we change. And kind of a lot of the peers, a group of people I see agree that we need more board awareness. We need somebody's in cybersecurity in the board to explain why it's important and what we need to do. And I kind of always bring the idea of uh, what we learning at home. When we were small, like our parents told us, don't take candy from the, from the strangers. If I, I you, you need to know who you're picking up, if you get lost in the park, this is what you're going to see. When you leave the house, lock the door, stuff like that. Because there is some idea of training, but we're not always succeeding in transforming the stuff we do at home, at work, on the basic hygiene with the passwords. People still leave laptops unattended and do a lot of different things that they're not supposed to be doing. Funny enough, we're recording this in October, and October is the Security Awareness Month for cybersecurity. There is a lot of jokes like, oh, so we only need to be secure in October, or we need to only be aware in October? What about the rest of the time? It just, this is the month where we just bring a lot of attention, and I hope there will be a lot of attention. I personally want to go live every morning, 9 a.m. during weekdays and bring a friend to talk about security awareness and we will cover a topic and let people ask questions. Let's see how this goes. It's an experiment we do. But it's important. I think you touched on it. Budget is always key. In the beginning of the year, it's you're setting your budget. Oh, we don't have enough money for that. Well, guess what? We don't have enough skills for that. Oh, we need to hire for that. But you ever notice how much hiring they do after an incident? Do you want to be, you always have to think of it, first of all, whose data are you controlling, right? If it's not, if it's somebody else's personal data, you should be taking top priority on it and securing it, right? And logging everything that's happening. We'll take that as an example. The other thing is that you're responsible for it. So you should be responsible to invest a lot of the time and money into making sure it's secure, making sure those who need access have access or limiting access and controls to it and not just setting these all in cybersecurity month. Yep, yep, I definitely, definitely agree on this part. And I hope people will be more aware, we'll think about this a bit more. And I think it's important to ask questions. You know, if you don't know, or you're not sure, it should be completely okay to email UIT. They know what? I listened to John's episode, and I'm not sure if I'm secure, what should I do? Well, that's a good question. If they say, I'm not secure, what should, what should they do? What would you first tell them? How would you approach that? I'll definitely will understand what they mean by this. Do they afraid to browse a different website? Do they see a suspicious activity on their device? We definitely need to understand if the device has endpoint security, if they're if the testing where they're going and how they work. We will enroll them or we are to security awareness training, teach you more about which emails they can open, which emails they cannot open, what the danger about such emails. So there's a lot of activities they can do that they will be more aware, oh, if I see this WhatsApp message 
to authenticate, but I never actually try to authenticate to a website, should I press it or not? If somebody calls me on WhatsApp or send me a message or call me and say, hey, I'm your IT department, can you please approve this? I need to understand, do I just approve them or I ask them how and what, you know, like in spy movies, we all have a secret phrase. When you call someone, you can know who, who, who is the person. Same as the IT department. When the IT department calls, they need to know. For example, in Canada, there's a lot of calls about taxes and you didn't pay your taxes, you're going to go to jail. And in Canada, they'll tell, hey, we never call you. you know, there's no way we would just call you. And if we call you, this is the procedure and the question you should ask us to identify that it's actually a real person and authenticated person. Same as IT. But a lot of things can be done to let people feel more in ease. I, I always get called for IRS and they don't, and it's not really them. I mean, it's, I always love asking them a bunch of questions and seeing how long I can keep them on the line just to see how far I can go with them and what kind of information they're trying to pull. So IRS is same as for Canada for taxes. They're just trying to collect in I mean, the, the other one. And I did a video on the, on Twitter the, uh, it was probably two months ago. They'll text me and they'll say, Hey, this is such and such uh, CEO of the company you're working for. Uh, are you available? I need you to do me a quick favor. And I already know it's a scam right away. Cause first of all, the CEO is not texting me. And uh, so I'll, I'll respond or I might have the CEO's number already. So I, I kind of know, and I'll, I'll be like, yeah, sure. What's up? I need you to run to the nearest store and get Amazon gift cards. Um, yeah, hold on a second. And then I'll wait like 10 minutes and be like, all right, I'm there, but they don't have Amazon. They only have Apple. Is that all right? Because I can't, yes, I need you to get me like uh, X thousands of dollars worth. I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Can I get reimbursed right away? I, I have to put this on my personal card. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just do that and send me pictures of the thing. And I will try to keep them on as long as I can. And I'll be like, do people really fall for this stuff? Which is amazing that people do. People can fall. Yeah, like, people can fall, you know. Th there's no way. And hey, I, I, nothing. Phone calls, all that other stuff. Phone it's calls? Like, yeah, but people have emails. Yeah. I, I, so I avoid phone calls all this so far. I'm like, I'll call you back. I'm digging up the number right now. I'll, I'll call you back and I'll talk to one of the representative it's, and then they, they stop calling or they hang up right in it. You know, they're just like, all right, this person's going to be difficult. I'm not dealing with it. I'll, I'll work my <laughs> angle on another person. Just invite them to the podcast next time. What? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send them. You know what? That's what I should do. The next time I get it, I'll drop a link to this podcast. So you getting, before we wrap things up, you have a podcast speaking of that of cyber inspiration. You want to talk about it? There's two podcasts. One is Security Architecture, running with Dimitri, yep. where we co cover the technical aspects of many companies and how they connect. And the new one I started around six weeks ago called Cyber Inspiration Podcast. And I cover the motivation and the stories of people and founders of cybersecurity vendors. Basically, the idea to understand what happened in someone's life if they decided to start the company. This was a bad day. They saw a big problem in cybersecurity. And then I ask what happened after, how they did market validation, how they understood that people are going to buy it. Did they put the product first or did the marketing about the product? Some of the challenges, I have a dark part of the podcast, the dark side, when we talk about what went wrong. Quite interesting stories. You know, some people, developers disappeared, bad hires, 
very bad investor meetings. So quite a lot of interesting things. And I think it's interesting for people that want to start their own journey. Or also interesting for people that use their product to understand why they started, what motivated them, what moved them. Is it did it by themselves or with founders? Oh, that sounds interesting. The dark side of it. Hmm. I'm going to be listening to that. I, I want to hear what some people's response are. So, Eugenie, before we wrap anything up, do you want to leave the audience with some information on cybersecurity, on some of the tips and tricks that they might be able to do, uh, including listening to the podcast? So definitely, as a simple stuff, is think what you're sharing on social media. If you go to vacation, it doesn't mean you tell everybody on Facebook you're going to vacation and they also have your address in Facebook, for example, because people know it's a good time to get in right now. Don't, I'll say, ever, ever use the same passwords on social medias and your bank account. Ideally, ideally, you're not repeating passwords and you're using password everywhere different. Password management. You can use password management to manage this and have different passwords in different locations. Majority of the social media and the banks now support two-factor, multi-factor authentication. Highly suggest using this idea. Never click on links that tell you it's the password. If you get an email and say, oh, you should just do password to your Facebook, blah, 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 blah. If you think you want to receive your Facebook, your Facebook password, don't click on the link, go to Facebook and do it from, the, from there. And it's not so hard to do. It's relatively simple. You just need to have a password management on your device, maybe the same, probably the same password management on your uh, phone as well. There's going to be the simple things to do from my perspective. And if you get an email that is uh, too good to be true, think about it twice, you know, before you just click on it and say, oh, let me help the Nigerian Brits. Wait, are you saying I didn't win that $10,000 that they promised me? You, you may be, but uh, <laughs> or maybe they will win or somebody else will win. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe those. Uh, I call directly if it is, but I, that's actually some really good advice. I think the difficult part that folks are going to run into is using a different password for every social media application or every application because it's really hard for us to use like 30, 40 different passwords. But there are password managers or password things. Before I close things out, what are your feelings on these like password safes or one pass or management systems? Are they any more secure than actually going to the websites? From my perspective, yes. Yeah, we can say, oh, but LastPass got hacked or one password had issues. In majority of the cases, there's a bigger chance if you're going to use the same password that some of the website, if you use the password, got hacked, they stole the password and they're going to use this password and go login to, 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 to those applications. Now, let's say that LastPass got hacked and they actually got the password. You can go one time and change the password. And because LastPass, one password, and all these guys actually even can provide you the password, you don't need to remember them because they just fill you the password. You can go change it for maybe take you three, four hours, one time, versus you're going to use the same password. And then what? guess what happened? Every time a website got hacked, you need to go still change the password. Because you see the same password. Oh, that's it's a good way. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Is thinking about it now, it might be really easy to log into all these other websites using this one password. But if that one website got hacked, now you have to spend 
you know, two, three days trying to change all these passwords for everywhere here, you only have to go to that one site and do it. Considering that you actually know the website got hacked and information got stolen. Yeah. Because if some one of these big guys get hacked like last pass and one password, you will know very quickly because it's going to be on the internet. So you know, okay, my my password management has a problem. I need to change password management or I need to log in and unfortunately go on all those websites and change the passwords. But once in three years, five years, even potentially, we don't even know. Yeah. No, that's some good, solid information. Well, Eugenie, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I hope everybody feels a little bit more secure in understanding what companies are doing and advising those that are working from home and how they're handling situations. Also, some recommendations on how to enhance your own security, regardless of where you're at. Eugenie, thank you so much. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. All right, everybody. This has been Eugenie, cybersecurity architect and advisor. Thank you so much for joining the John Meyer Podcast. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and notify because guess what? We're out of here.